we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 176 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast, 27th of November 2018. This is a podcast that looks at Australian news and politics and things going on in our world and a little bit internationally as well. We are normally a panel of white, cisgender males, privileged, (laughs) who discuss what's wrong with the world. (laughs) And um, that's what we'll be doing again tonight. So sit back and relax as we go through a lot of politics that's happened in Australia. Joining me, as usual, is Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day listeners. And for those of you that are keeping track, I'm drinking a Furfy Refreshing Ale, which is from our third beer sponsor, Bronwyn. Thank you very much, Bronwyn. Uh, she has sent us three six-packs, so that'll get us through till Christmas, at which time we'll be after a new beer sponsor. Very good. Thank you, Bronwyn. Good on you for your comments that we regularly receive as well. And also joining is Paul, the 12th man. G'day Trevor, g'day Scott, g'day listeners. So the question is, dear listener, has anything happened in the world of politics in the last week since we (laughs) last spoke to you? And the answer is we had a Victorian state election, which I said at the beginning, well, before we started recording, I said, we're going to lead off with that. And Paul, you looked at me genuinely a little bit perplexed to say, is it really that important, a Victorian state election? And... Oh, you're just having a cut at me. I was tugging his chain, Travis. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Because I think this one is significant, dear listener. So we, for quite a while, have been singing the praises of the Andrews government. And we have been, saying yes. Good on them, because mm. they have a go and are doing things. And I think the electorate down there worked that out. Exactly. And recognised it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. And that gives... I can be quite negative about the prospects for the future. <laughs> I, I think I could be rightly accused of that. And this is an event that's given me some, it's warmed the cockles of my heart Mm. to see, I think, Australians have not been duped by yet another pathetic scare campaign by some neoliberal ratbags who want to come across with just crazy ideas and they've said, hold on, no. And to give an increased majority to a sitting Labor government Pretty significant, I think. So it was very significant because you had the you had the situation that um, formerly safe Liberal seats had become marginal, and they'd become marginal on the backs of you know there was one guy that was barely nineteen, I think he was. He was the, if he would if he was going to win the seat, he would become the youngest member of the Victorian Parliament. Mm. Now he had no intention of winning the seat because he didn't have an after party or anything like that. The cameras had to come and find him in the neighbouring seat to have at his after party. He had to go and find people that could put on t-shirts that were backing him mm. to ha- stand behind him in in the uh, television shot. You know, it's, it's interesting the polls didn't pick up such a no, big swing. They didn't. It's interesting the polls really, you, really interesting. Do you think it was because he was a complete unknown and that they didn't really expect oh, yeah, but anything that, to yeah, happen? That would be seat by seat polling, and they wouldn't have done that. If they if they had done that, it would have been Labor Party polling, and they never released their Labor Party. Oh, you polling. mean the overall swing? Yeah, the overall oh, swing. Yeah, yeah, that was the whole point that Trevor was making. The, the Ipsos poll, the news poll, blah 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 blah. None of them picked up the size of the swing, and that is what's caught them on the hop. Mm. Now, 
So you <coughs> never go into an election with any confidence with these polls. It seems that people no. hold back or don't reveal their true selves or they're not polling a correct cross-section of the community for mm. whatever reason. So have, have you ever been polled, either of you guys? I've been polled, yeah. yeah. different times, yeah. And mm. did you give an honest answer? Would have at the time, yeah. But so you know, don't you wonder if people are really expressing their true voter voting intentions, or it, it, because do people change their mind? Well, what happened in the states with Trump was that people felt that if they admitted that they liked Trump, they would get abused. It was sort of uh, a bit of a stigma if they admitted it, so they would just they wouldn't say so. So they would either refuse to answer, in which case. They'd move on to the next person, um, or they'd say something incorrect. So who knows? Maybe I don't know what's going on. But anyway, you can't trust a poll. But for those of you who haven't, who weren't keeping tabs of what was happening in Victoria, so the Andrews Labor government basically went into the election saying they wanted to build infrastructure, keep safe schools, and keep these drug injecting rooms. Whereas the Libs wanted to stop safe schools and stop the injecting rooms reintroduce religious instruction classes that the Andrews government had got rid of and then they were dog-whistling a xenophobic law and order policy. Um, and this is my words here, while shackled to a numbskull federal neoliberal party which denies climate change. <laughs> so, so, you know, they talk about state elections and how much is on state issues and how much is on federal and no doubt most of this was state. But I'm pretty... I don't know. You just have the feeling that there was a bit of federal contamination. Of course, there was, a bit, of, there, there was a bit of federal contamination in this. And, you know, you can see that. What, you know, my summary of the whole situation was you had a genuinely secular government under Andrews. Now, Andrews is a Christian, but he doesn't let that get in the way of him legislating safe injecting grams, legislating voluntary assisted dying, legislating abortion safe zones, all those things which are top of our priority list, he has introduced. Now, he's done that despite his Christian beliefs and he should be applauded for that. Now, if you then if you then compare and contrast what he was up against, the Liberal Party wanted to reintroduce special religious instruction in schools. Hello? That's why they lost. They lost because they lurched so far to the right that they became unrecognisable. Anyway, so... It simply did look like another right-wing... Carbon copy version of what was happening federally. Absolutely. Which, yeah. So, anyway, lots of um, navel gazing and head scratching on the liberal side, and and contemplating what to do. And I was listening to the Insiders program, mm. and they had various people on who were calling for the for the liberal hierarchy to turn to the centre and to move away from the right and calling on the hierarchy to listen to the people. But they missed the point. The the Liberal hierarchy, the the leadership and the current members are just far more right-wing than traditional Liberal voters. So they're not interested in listening to your classic Liberal voter. They just listen to their members Mm. and themselves, and it's a right-wing bubble that they're in, and they don't care if... So there, um, what these people should have been saying is rather than come on liberal hierarchy, move to the centre, they should have been calling for ordinary people to sign up as members and take back the Liberal Party. Because at, at the moment, what you've got is, um, 
you've, you've got like this right-wing element is like a parasite that's just eating away at the host that was the Liberal Party and it's just a husk now and it's mm. just going to keep consuming it until they both die. Like they're, they're going to latch on. They're not going to change. And no, give- they're not going to change. And this is one of the things that I said to my better half because I said, oh, maybe I should rejoin and, you know, try and try and pull it back from a brink of destruction. Mm. And he said, why would you bother? You know, it's, 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 he, he said that he, he actually he actually quoted you. He said, "Well, Trevor said that it's a um, that it's a lost cause." Yep. And unfortunately, I have to agree with him. I think it is a lost cause. Here's why it's a lost cause. So after that result, what we had was Andrew Bolt, who said Victorian Liberals did not have enough conviction and need to move further to through the right. <laughs> You had hard right commentator Prue McSween had a solution, and his solution was Supercop and Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton. He said, "If Dutton had been Prime Minister, we may have had a chance." Oh, for God's the sake! The Daily Telegraph columnist Miranda Devine, um, she said that that uh, Guy, the opposition leader, wimped out on the issue of safe schools, and she says it illustrates a profound problem for the conservative side of politics. Um, if you don't engage with the culture wars, you are complicit and the electorate will view that as a betrayal. So because he didn't go hard enough on safe schools, that was the reason why. That's from Miranda Devine. And a guy called John, John Ruddock is the author of uh, Make the Liberal Party Great Again. And he said, uh, um, let me see, why New South Wales has moved to the right is a story for another day, but it's clearly the case. Oh, he's talking about Berejiklian in New South Wales he says she can become a liberal legend and defy all the macro trends pointing to a looming state government defeat in four months' time, but she needs to move right. Her recent comments on immigration were a good start. So They're idiots. They're absolute idiots. And you, we've just had the Senate conducting a little mini-inquiry into the laws regarding um, banning of students and the ability to discriminate. And uh, the the Senate committee came out saying with a conclusion that, well, we shouldn't have these laws that allow discrimination. But there were eight dissenters, and they were all from the conservative side. And this is just in the last week. So, so they haven't learnt any lessons at all. Of course, the dissenting senators were Ian MacDonald, Consenta Feveriati-Wells, Jane Hume, Erica Betts, Amanda Stoker, Jonathan Dooniam, Barry O'Sullivan and Slade Brockham. Just just another bunch of just right-wing nutters. Mm-hmm. So despite everything that's gone on, they're not shifting to the centre. They're, they're saying they need to go more hard right because that was the problem. They're absolute idiots. And if they go hard right, they'll end up being left out there on their own and they'll be out of a job, you know? It makes no sense whatsoever to move further to the right. They, they would rather be out of a job than consider a left-wing position. They're, they're so ideologically driven. They, they, they're committed. Mm. They're committed. Anyway, there was an interesting article in John Menadue's blog where he looked at the last 11 elections, state and federal, and all of them showed swings away from the Liberal Party and towards the Labor Party. So this is in, uh, since November the 14th. Um, so over those 11 elections, 
the uh, average swing against the Liberals or the LNP has been 6.9% and the two-party swing to Labor has been 7%. And that's the average over the last four years. So it's just part of another trend. So it's it's giving some heart that people are not accepting this nonsense from these guys. Well, you know... I think that we're headed towards wall-to-wall Labor governments across the country, including both state and federal. Mm. And you might see the city council up here in Brisbane change too. You know, it's and it's they've only got themselves to blame. Mm. They've only they've they've painted themselves into a corner. They've got nowhere to go. And if they lurch to the right again, then they'll be out of a job completely. Mm. Yeah, interesting in Victoria. Christian parties disappeared without mm. a trace. But unfortunately, so did Fiona Patton mm. and the Reason Party. That's interesting. It is very interesting because, you know, like you said before we started recording, she's a very presentable person. She speaks exceptionally well. She's got some great ideas and she was responsible for those implementation of those great ideas. You know, Andrew's was the government that put them through, but I don't think they would have actually jammed them through as quick as they did without having her pushing them on it. Mm. And unfortunately that wasn't enough. She didn't get up, which I don't know what what the hell the problem is with people that they've got a genuinely good representative that they didn't vote her in again. And yet other small parties did get up, Mm. notably the Darren Hinch's Justice Party, I mean, people have been saying that, you know, the voters are disillusioned with the major parties and that they were sort of predicting further support for the minor parties. Mm-hmm. And and wouldn't you have thought that Fiona would have gotten up? I, well, I was totally surprised that well, she didn't. You know the reason why? Hmm? What is it? It's the, the preference whisperer. Ah. Yeah, uh, so, I did hear that. You know, it, So the preference whisperer um, did a deal with... Uh, other micro-parties and didn't do one, well, Fiona Patton and Reason Party didn't do a deal because he, well, she says, allegedly, that he wanted to be paid money and they had a falling out. So she missed out. But here's the interesting part. Apparently she worked with him in the previous election and he's saying that's how she got in. So... And yet Darren Hinch wouldn't if have worked with him, would he? Yes, on this one he has. Oh, he so, has? Yeah, that's, the, that's what they're saying. Oh, so um, let me read some bits I've got from some articles here. Um, so we had the disappearance of Family First, Rise Up Australia and Australian Christian political parties. Um, so Darren Hinch's Justice Party, at the time this article was written, was expected to pick up four seats and the Transport Party which began as a protest party for disgruntled taxi drivers, is likely to win two seats. The Aussie Battler Party, Liberal Democrats, Sustainable Australia and Animal Justice Party were all tipped to pick up one seat each across the state regions. What? It's bizarre, isn't it? Well, this is the preference whisperer at work. Yeah. A party for taxi drivers, for goodness (laughs) sake. It just breaks your heart, doesn't it? But... When you know that there are genuinely important and worthwhile micro-parties out there, yes. at least some. I mean, we've, we've well, Scott and I, former members of the Secular Party, and still holds a soft spot in our hearts. <laughs> it does, and has yeah. some great policies. And there are, But there are other ones like the Science Party, for example, and 
some, some other more legitimate ones, but for goodness sake, a, a party that's arisen from disgruntled taxi drivers? Animal Justice Party? Really? Just If you're a member of a... Give up. If you're a member of a micro party, just give up and join one of the majors and try and work from within. Otherwise, if you're going to be one, as the lesson from the Victorian election is, you have to go and sell your soul to the preference whisperer if you want to get anywhere. Well, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I would have thought that the state governments would follow the lead of Canberra and reform their Senate voting because, you know, the MLs, the, the Legislative Council is the state's equivalent of a Senate. So if they were to do that, that would actually eliminate the need for a preference whisperer. So, so federally, they've, they've – how did they stop that with the preference whisperer? Well, that, what happened they there? Have, you used to – when you voted above the line – and you've put one in the party's box. Yep. That determined how your vote was then preferenced out. Yeah. Because they had a that left it to the party to decide. Exactly. Yep. So now what you have to do is you have to put down at least. Well, you don't have to, but the recommendation is that you number six boxes, and one through to six. You can go one through to twenty if you like, or you can number all the other boxes below the line if you wish. It's one of those things that they have done to try and eliminate any of those problems. That's right. They gave some more options to mm. make it easier to fill in some preferences without having to go the whole way. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if they did that in the, if they did that in the state, oh, you know, we we come from a unicameral house up here, and we don't seem to have a problem with that. I don't know why they just don't do away with the legislative councils from the other states. That's all. Yeah. Mm. Interesting times. That's that's. Very interesting times. Good luck if you're in a micro party and you're not prepared to sell your soul to the preference whisperer because you'll get nowhere, it seems. Terrible. Right, just today, Julia Banks, Scott, what's she done? (laughs) Julia Banks resigned from the Liberal Party today and is elected to sit on the crossbench as an independent. Um. I have gone through and fluoride most of what was written here because it was from her speech and it was a thing of beauty. Mm. You know, it warmed the coggles of your heart with the mm. Victorian election. This speech warmed the coggles of my heart. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, where are we got? In a shock speech at midday on Tuesday, she told Parliament she had to leave the Liberals because of the dark days of the leadership spill in August and would decide her future in the new year. Um, you know, she's talking about whether or not she's going to run as an independent. I personally think she's wasting her time and that sort of stuff. She should just resign from Parliament because, you know, she's not going to get up again as an independent. Um, well, she might. I reckon she might too. You reckon? Yeah, I think people might vote for her just because she's done that. Potentially. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But um, um, And this is what she really – this is what the really stuck the boot into Abbott and co. She said their actions were undeniably for themselves, for their position in the party, their power, their personal ambition, not the Australian people who we represent, not for what people voted for in the 2016 election, not for stability, and disregarding that teamwork and stability delivers success. It was beautiful. Yeah, you see, she's got it wrong. She's talking about stability. You know, we must be together as a team and stable. That's not, she's missed the point. The point is you've been taken over by a bunch of nutbags mm. and your whole structure has been contaminated. That's the problem. So that's what she should have said. But she's, you know, whinging about the disloyalty to Turnbull 
you know, it's just a symptom of a bigger problem. Well, it probably is symptomatic of a bigger problem, but I don't think she could have actually. Well, she could have actually said what yeah, she what yeah, she wanted. She could to have. Say. She, yeah, she independent. Could have said, yeah. she, she should have said. Well, had that, she have said that, or something like, had she have said, you know, the right wing lunatic Christians are taking over the party. Yep. You know, you got to step away from the god botherers. Then she would have actually. She would have actually got a lot of people to sit up and take notice of her. That's what she should have said, mm. instead of this disloyalty stuff. But um, look, uh, you mentioned Tony Abbott there. Mm. He might have been half right about something. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he was at book launch um, for a Kevin Donnelly book, no less. We'll get onto that. But uh, he criticised the decline of Christian prayer and the acknowledgement of country in official public ceremonies. So he said he was. Uh, yeah, he attended an official opening of Sydney's Northern Beaches Hospital on Monday, and noted the absence of religion. There was a formal welcome to country. Fair enough, he said. Every single speaker, and there was about six of them, acknowledged country. Fair enough, but there was not a single prayer. Now I am sure there will be a lot of patients saying prayers in that hospital, but there wasn't a single official one. Even though our society is absolutely unimaginable. Without the influence of Christianity. Wow. Oh, for God's sake. Unimaginable. 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 I reckon it would be unimaginably better <laughs> if they didn't, you know, if, if they were all gone. It really would be. Yeah. Uh, so the special envoy, <laughs> I guess he wasn't complaining about the, um, the welcome to country. But it sounds like he tolerates it rather than embraces it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to complain about it because it just... Gives me the shits. Honestly, I, I yeah, don't... I understand where you're coming from, but if they just say it once, you know, not every speaker getting up there and saying, "I'd like to, I'd like to pay my respects to," it's racist. Elders, past and present, blah 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 blah. You know, it's I'd like to pay a special compliment to the black people, past, present, and yeah, future. Not you, that. white people. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. But I agree it's, with Trevor. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's like what my better half said today. He said, you know, it's only one thing and, you know. But that one thing might be the thin edge of the wedge, as they say. I mean, why not get up and acknowledge, you know, every individual little micro section of the communities, you know, individual religious beliefs and cultural sensibilities? I mean, how many will join the list? Mm-hmm. saying, well, if they're worthy of such an acknowledgement, aren't we also worthy? Because of some random DNA that happens to be coursing through, you know, your cell structure, you're entitled to a special pat on the back and a yeah. good luck message. Yeah. It makes no sense. Mm. So, Why aren't we acknowledging the suffering of, mm. of the Irish people in the Irish potato famine? Because apparently the, mm. in the first fleet, a lot of them were uh, either Irish or, you know, descendants of poor Irish people. Mm. Weren't they? Oh no, that I, was a potato farm. Not to came acknowledge anybody but I mean, special, unless it's something to do with the particular ceremony. So, if you've named a building after somebody, we'll acknowledge them. Or if you've done, you know, whatever's appropriate to the particular ceremony. But just mm. um, look, I'm saying, Scott, in an iron fist velvet glove government, <laughs> we'd be getting rid of welcome to ceremony, welcome to country stuff. But, and look, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from and I wouldn't oppose that. Right, okay. But <laughs> you might abstain from the um, vote on nah, that one. Well, I don't know. It depends. Would you throw me out of cabinet if I did vote <laughs> against it? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think... It's, 
to myself, it's one little thing. If it keeps them happy, just throw it in there just to keep them, keep mm. the, the boat on an even keel, I suppose. But I do understand what you're both saying. You're right, it is racist, you know. This is why you're the velvet glove. I understand. And that. I'm the Iron Fist. I understand that, right. yes. Although you accused me of taking over the uh, Iron Fist moniker a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, that was when you, that's when you launched into baby boomers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You're not going to bash baby boomers again this week, are you? Oh, we are actually, yes. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a go at baby boomers again. (laughs) Yeah, Paul. (laughs) Right. uh, That was at a book launch for a guy called um, Kevin Donnelly. That's what Abbott was speaking at. And uh, he's written a book, um, How Political Correctness is Destroying Education and Your Child's Future. And what we need, Dr Donnelly said, is a return to 1950s Australia where things were less complicated and children were happier. So he wants to go back to when you had to spend a half a year's salary to buy a refrigerator and if you wanted to buy a car, you had to spend a whole year's salary on that? No. Nah. <laughs> is that right? A refrigerator was half a year's salary? Oh, something like that. It was yeah. quite a while. Okay. But he's really talking more about culture than the cost of living, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, you had the unions that dominated everything back then. You know, you had diphtheria and polio running rampant Mm. through the population. You know, people that look back and say, oh, wasn't it so much simpler? No, it wasn't because you could die from Mm. very preventable diseases that have been long since abolished because of vaccines. But it's more of a nostalgic view of of Australian culture of the 1950s. Oh, probably is, yeah. Where people went to church on Sunday, you know, uh, the the man was the head of the household, stuff mm. like that. Yeah, and you know, in the nineteen fifties, when the federal government didn't provide a single cent for the funding of <laughs> there is that of <laughs> private religious schools. Yes, so it okay. is very true. Is that yes. what they is that what they're on about? Do you think underneath it? All? No, <laughs> no. Right. Um, Sorry, I'll shut up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Donnelly, he's. Very much pro-Western civilization, Christian civilization, and he's quite anti sort of Muslim to some extent. So he says uh, Australia is facing a crisis in the legitimacy of Western civilization caused by a non-discriminatory migration policy, leading to ethnic enclaves and the threat of Islamic terrorism. Blah blah blah. He goes on, but um, there was a poll done of Australian attitudes to immigration. And how many percent of voters do you reckon support an increase in the number of immigrants from Muslim countries, talk man? Probably about five. Mm. 14% support an increase in the number of immigrants from Muslim countries, while 35% believe the intake should stay the same. Sounds about right. What do you make of it? Uh, I I, I think... I think... Islam has been off the radar a lot in the last two years in Australia, mm. is my feeling, really. I think... It has gone been off the radar until that guy went Burko in Burke Street in Melbourne. Yeah, but even then, how much of that is mental illness, etc. I, I, I just feel that the issues around Islam and Muslims and it's, it's just gone off the radar while other things are being... Well, the Christians take even more control, I think. That's my feeling. So, um, I think you're probably we, we, right. We I think the Christians have probably pushed it on the back page. Yeah, we haven't heard a lot about schools like Punchbowl and places like that where things are going on or were going on. So, 
Do you think it's because of the Royal Commission into uh, institutional or abuse of children and uh, church abuse of children? It was such an attack on Christian faith mm. that... People but, started but, but to the, say, well, but, but, why are you picking on the Muslims? You know, I mean, look mm. at what, what the Christians have done. Mm. I am still worried about, you know, enclaves, and this is one of the reasons why we shouldn't have federal funding of these private religious schools because it allows Muslim communities to set up private Muslim schools where and they're ki- doing it. Muslim kids will meet Muslim kids and never interact with non-Muslims. Absolutely. And that's the whole point. Mm. People, like, how much more likely is our society to be cohesive and cooperative if kids throughout their childhood have had to go to school with Muslims and Jews and Christians and atheists they, and all the rest of it and recognise that there's no difference. Well, they just don't get just it, people. do they? No. I mean, it's, when kids grow up together, when kids go to school together and interact, hmm. they treat each other as human beings, not as, as Muslims, Christians, Jews, whatever. They treat each other as just regular human beings. Yeah, and I've right. seen it in my, hmm. in my uh, working life. I've seen kids of whatever colour or background or ethnicity Yep. Just playing with each other, interacting with each other, just as fellow humans. And that's what, why we need just secular schooling for everybody. That's right. Yep. No, I agree with both, with both of you from what you've said. You know, and you look at to our north, Singapore, they had a very deliberate policy of integrating their entire population and yes. they don't have the problems. Really? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Singapore has done a marvellous job of integrating their population. Yeah, despite mm. their pseudo-democracy. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, Ma, oh, what was his name? Lee Kuan Yew. Lee Kuan Yew. Now, he was no, he was no real Democrat, was he? He was no Democrat. No, he was not a Democrat. He was a fascist. But he saw the problems that could happen had he have not done what he did, so he did it. Mm. And he integrated it. He's even got housing and all that sort of stuff that's very integrated. You've got... Poor people with rich people in the same buildings. Yeah. You know, he has done a marvellous job. I hate to do it, Scott, but I take exception to your use of the word fascist. He was an autocrat <laughs> rather than a fascist. Okay, he was an autocrat then. <laughs> we have to talk at some stage about fascism and the meaning of it because you're right. Yeah, it there does, are a lot of people that are getting... tossed around a lot, the word fascist. A, a lot of people are being labelled fascist which don't deserve to be labelled fascist. Yeah, yeah right. Before we get onto that, though, or that'll be another time. But when we were bashing the baby boomers, we left. We forgot a couple of things when we're talking about advantages. Here it comes, the baby boomers. <laughs> These are also the guys who created the defined benefit superannuation schemes mm-hmm. that we. So, this dear listener, if you're young, imagine when you retire at age sixty-five, whatever that for the rest of your life you get a superannuation package of you know 80% of your final wage just paid to you till death and irrespective of what the property uh, you know the the investment markets have done like incredibly generous to just and I, so that's what was granted to a lot of baby boomers and of course what they discovered was Boy, that's really hard to fund that. Mm-hmm. And the actuary, the actuarians started looking at at the figures and going, "We we we can't sustain this." So instead of scrapping it, it's well, we'll grandfather that. So if you've signed up for that already, you get to keep it. And the rest of you guys, i.e., non baby boomers, 
you can just go onto onto uh, accumulation onto accumulation. Yeah, so and that's what's really offensive about the federal government superannuation scheme that they pay to themselves. It is defined benefit, right? Now, it still if is. It yeah. still is. Now, mm. if they really wanted to say, "Oh, we're just like the rest of you," all they had to do was change it from a defined benefit scheme to a defined contribution scheme, and they would be accumulation like the rest of us, and they would have to live and die by the markets. Yeah. The other one, of course, is that the uh, age pension, uh, it's going to increase to, you've got to be 67 as well. So they're just bumping that up as well. <laughs> All these things that they just... Uh, I mean, Morrison has, has stepped away from jumping it up to 70. For the moment. For the moment. Yeah. But he did, he was, when he was treasurer, was very much in favour of bumping it up to 70. Mm. Gentlemen, have you heard the expression, um, drinking from the Kool-Aid? Yeah. Mm. And your understanding of that expression... Yes, that was back for the Jonestown Massacre mm. when the Reverend something or other, Jim Jones, Jim Jones, mm. when he convinced uh, 900 of his followers to drink poison Kool-Aid. Mm. Laced with cyanide. cyanide life, mm. yeah. The reason for mentioning it is it's uh, 40 years ago that that event occurred. 900 people, which um, up until the 9-11 Disaster was the largest single incident of intentional civilian death in American history. So, um, yeah. Many children died and, of course, a classic cult that was being operated there in Jonestown. And fun fact for you, dear listener, it wasn't actually Kool-Aid. It was, in fact, Flavoraid, F-L-A hyphen V-O-R hyphen A-I-D. So... But, yeah, when you're talking about drinking from the Kool-Aid, it means uh, you're so into whatever it is that you are prepared to accept a cyanide-laced version of, of Kool-Aid. You're yeah. all in. Mm. You've abrogated your own personal sort of responsibility to, to find the truth of a, of a matter, isn't it? Yeah. And just accept whatever's fed to you. Yes, mm. yes, that's true. So... So they were an American cult and sort of had a bit of a Pentecostal beginning and um, initially had um, some support from groups like the Black Panthers and some other political groups. And this is what caught my eye. Um, so they were called at the time the People's Temple, was the name of the cult, and there was a guy, David Talbot, wrote an article in Salon and he said, looking back on it, that one of the reasons the cult was successful in part was because it was politically useful. Jones could be counted on to deliver busloads of obedient, well-dressed disciples to demonstrations, campaign rallies and political precincts. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Does that sound familiar? It sounds very familiar. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Right. Um, speaking of apocalyptic cults, uh, we've got the Catholics to discuss. And uh, Catholic Archbishop Coleridge, we're talking about uh, in Queensland assisted dying legislation, and he said, we all agree that compassion for the dying is crucial and that everyone has the right to die with dignity. But compassion and dignity don't mean legislating for assisted suicide. In fact, they mean the opposite. Coleridge said the church would not engage the issue as a lobbyist or activist, but precisely as the church, armed not with an ideology, but with the power of the gospel of life. 
what does he think an ideology is? Mm. You know, it's it's no surprise. It's, it's, uh, it's no surprise, I suppose. But you know, they're the only objectors to this sort of stuff. To, talk you about know, this, this, you know drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. I mean, they still think that the Sky Fairy should decide everyone's fate. Yeah, I know that, and it's just. What I find really objectionable about this is I don't know the fa- guy's family history or anything like that, but, you know, having seen my mother die from cancer years ago, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Now, she would not have opted for voluntary euthanasia. She was determined to fight to the very end. But, however, if I'm ever in that situation and if I get a same water reports that she got, I'd say to the doctor, you know, switch me off. You know, it, it's just not worth it. It's really terribly cruel of these people to wipe you out and say that you cannot have that option. They have got no clue what they're doing to people when they say that. Right. So this website that I have a link to in the show notes, you can plug in your school and see how much um, government money it gets per student. Mm -hmm. And then it will tell you what a school of a similar socioeconomic profile gets from other sectors. So Toowoomba Grammar School per student from the government gets $9,033. Um, a government school of the same socioeconomic uh, profile gets 11725 It's got That school gets 2700 less than the, the public school down the road. Mm. Like, it's... It's it, bloody criminal. It really is. Because, you know, they, they then charge the parents probably 10 grand on top of that. So they're, they're raking in nearly 20 grand per kid. <laughs> whereas down the road, they do it for $2,700 more. Guess what? You can plug in the, the figure and it'll tell you that the total income then for per student is 22000 So that <laughs> So 9000 of that comes from the government. Uh, the total is twenty two thousand four hundred and twenty nine per so student. Thirteen grand comes yeah. from the parents. From the parents, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So Toowoomba Grammar School gets nine thousand and thirty three per student. A, a similar Catholic school gets nine three one seven. The government, as I said, gets eleven seven two five, and an independent would get nine four nine six. So. Um, so this whole nonsense where we've got the private school lobbying arguing, saying that if you didn't if you didn't have private schools, it would cost you a fortune. Yep. It's a load of garbage. It is a load of it's garbage. It's a lie. It's a lie. Yep. Yeah. What primary school did you go to, Scott? Uh, Toowoomba Preparatory School. Toowoomba. Um, it might uh, be Anglican the, College Anglican and Preparatory School. Yeah, that would yeah, be. Yeah, there it I think is. It has changed that was the one I first now. Meant, yeah. mentioned. Yeah. And, okay, public funding. So it gets $7,479 per student. <laughs> and a government school, same socioeconomic profile, gets 8900 It only gets 1500 less yeah. than the government school. And, of course, the total income is 19205 mm. Your parents must have been wealthy, Scott, to pay for all these private school fees. Well, they, didn't, they weren't short of a bob, that's for sure. There yeah. were six of us that they had to educate. Wow. Yeah. That's not... Wow. That's a slug, isn't it? Twelfth man, are you prepared to say what school you went to? Yeah, sure. Mm. I went to James Roos Agricultural High School in Carlingford in Sydney. James Roos, R... R-U-S-E. Yes, okay, here it is. An academic selective high school. 
State High School. James, I had it, it's disappeared. Okay. Okay. It apparently has for many years topped the state in academic achievement. Really? Yeah. Mm. Right. So that's a state. It's a state high school, but it's a academic selective high school, as I said. Yep. Okay. So, so it you, just had to sit, you had to sit funding. entrance exams, did you? Hmm? You had to sit entrance exams, did you? No, I didn't. It was uh, selection was based on um, basically sixth grade primary school uh, results, whatever okay. were supplied by the school, I suppose. Okay, he hasn't given the normal figures for this. It's said that the school gets twelve thousand five hundred yeah. per student. Um, and it doesn't give the Catholic uh, equivalent. It's got sort of asterisks here. In the uh, same area. Yeah. Ind- independent school would get 4,400. Um, there is just it, down the road, I can tell you, the King's School, the mm-hmm. famous The King's School, which was one of the, the first elite private schools established in Australia. Right. Uh, which was originally located in Parramatta. And uh, it was just across the road from the Parramatta swimming pool where I used to go swimming with my friends as a child. And the King School relocated to um, amazing, you know, uh, bushland sort of grounds up the road in Carlingford, which was just down the road from my school. So I used to share buses going to and from school with these kids from the King's School in their mm-hmm. quasi-military uniforms right. and their slouch hats. Right. Yeah. We, used to, we used to laugh at them for their, for their funny uniforms, right. but, they of looked, course, their parents were often looked, quite yeah. wealthy. I hadn't looked at this before, dear listener, but I went to a little primary school at Hendra called Our Lady Help of Christians School in Hendra. Mm-hmm. And I've just looked it up right now, and it gets... <coughs> Uh, it was only a tiny school. Like in my grade seven class, there were 12 kids. It's a small school. 12 kids? 12, yeah, in grade seven, yeah. Wow. It was a particularly small. small class, but most of them were only sort of 30, 20, 30. That wasn't class. a special class of no, something, was no, it? No, it wasn't special at all. Anyway, <laughs> per student from the government, that Catholic school at Hendra gets $11,059. And for a government school... On the same socioeconomic profile, it's ten thousand one hundred seventy-nine. <laughs> so it actually gets a thousand dollars more than a government yeah. school. It that's is criminal. Really criminal. It yeah, is that's criminal. really wrong. It is yeah. wrong. Look up the. Can you look up the King's School? King's School in Carlingford. Okay, King's. Okay, King's Christian College, Reedy Creek, no, Warrnambool, no, no, no. Wellard. It's not a Christian King, school Kings Langley, per se. King, King's it's, it's just called The King's School. Ah. The King's School, North yeah. Parramatta. Carlingford, actually. But, okay. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, King's School gets from the government 5,398, whereas a government school, same profile, would so, get 9,200. Yeah. Now, let's see what the fees are. So from the government... Oh, the fees are astronomical. It's 5398, but the total income per student, including the 5398, is 36363 shit! <laughs> per student. As if they need the extra 5000 Exactly. They if have you, palatial grounds. If you can afford to pay $31,000... 
per student, you do not need. You don't need that. Yeah, you know, this is this is what's bloody criminal about this. Like we went back through my school, my old school, which what got nine thousand dollars per head, and the local state school did it for eleven thousand seven hundred dollars per head. You know, <clears throat> I, I really don't know what to do about it other than you just got to say to these people, we're going to slowly but surely wind it back. And as the schools start to fall over, they can put up their hand and they can be acquired by the state and then they could become, if they were single-sex schools, they could remain single-sex schools that maybe they've got entrance exams or something like that, but over time you break them down and they just become no longer the elite schools. Yeah. So anyway, dear listener, in the show notes is a heading, school funding data is now easy to find and you can see where you can plug in your data. You have to scroll down the page a bit and uh, put it in. It's very interesting. gives you a quick calculation of the fees you're looking at for whatever school you might be contemplating. It's very interesting. Mm. It's really interesting. No wonder my sister goes abroad once a year now that she's no longer paying school fees. Right, yeah. So- <laughs> What did Dad and Mum do when they stopped? They must have gone to the moon. <laughs> they could go to Mars with Elon Musk. <laughs> Average figures tell us that Catholic school students receive eighty-four cents for every taxpayer dollar spent on public school students. Oh, there you go. They're not saving us money at all. No, they're not. Um, you know, this is absolutely ridiculous. You, when you actually see the difference, ladies and gentlemen, it, it just proves that it's an absolute lie. And this is something that I stuck to too. I thought to myself, well, if we don't have them, then they're going to be over. They're going to be overrunning the public system. Mm. But you know what? It wouldn't matter. Mm. You know, if if they, you know, if we could turn back time and go back to whatever it was in the sixties when they said, well, if you don't pay us, we're going to close down. They should have actually said to them, how much do you want for your schools? We'll buy them from you. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to sell them. We'll buy them anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's called resumption. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Scientists have recently discovered that expat tribe members, listening to their musings from both far and wide, have been contributing to the group's well-being and habitat infrastructure through something called Patreon. Some for as little as one dollar a podcast. It really is making a difference, and it's been observed to enrich the tribe as a whole with contributing members experiencing measured dopamine spikes when new episodes are released, and even intermittent bouts of persistent smiling while listening. Ah, there seems to be movement again. If we listen carefully, we may be able to make out the discussion once more. Dear listener, time to thank our patrons, Sean, Alex, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon Hardbottom, Wayne Oyame. Uh, the Beneficiary, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bromlin, Matt, J, Robert, Dean, Rod, Palais, Maddockman, Was, Dominic, Liam, Dave, um, The Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Less is More, Gavin, New Patron, Peter, Welcome Aboard, Peter, and The Two Kens. Thanks, guys, for being patrons and supporting the podcast. Do you guys ever see the movie Snakes on a Plane? No, I don't really like it. Was it snakes. comedy, was it? Well, no, it wasn't drama. But, you know, it was with some snakes had sort of been It's a great out. concept for a movie, yeah, I have it, to it say. It sounds a dodgy concept for a movie. <laughs> it's not, it's, I didn't like the whole idea, so I never watched it. Yeah, but I've got an even better title for a movie. Yeah. It's called uh, Ultra Orthodox Jews on a Plane. 
Yeah. So what happened, dear listener? There were two planes um, with some ultra-Orthodox Jews on board as passengers of um, LL planes that took off from New York and there was an uproar um, because due to delays and weather and whatever, I guess, there were fears that the flight would land after the start of the Jewish Shabbat. So, um, and of course... Ultra-Orthodox Jews are not allowed to use any sort of technology at all um, uh, at that time. Like, they're not even allowed to turn the light switches on and off in their homes. So uh, so being on a plane would have been a big no-no. And they were in uproar on these planes, um, basically creating a riot as they started doing their calculations and working out what was going to be happening. So they were demanding, I think, that the flight... Uh, divert and land somewhere else so they could get off before Shabbat was finished. Boy, oh boy. It shows the power of these religious ideas, doesn't it? Mm. To influence behaviour. Yeah. Well, there we go. So there's a new movie, Ultra-Orthodox Jews on a Plane. Of course, they're notorious for getting on planes and finding out that they're sitting next to to a a woman and demanding a change of seats because mm. yeah. uh, they could inadvertently touch a strange woman. Mm. Uh, yeah. Boy. Okay. Um, yeah. So what happens when they touch a strange woman? They turn into pumpkins? Well, well no. The, the, it's something to do with menstruating women or something like that. Oh, they're uh, pollute. It's, it's ritual yeah, pollution. Yeah, it's, it's ritualistic. It makes yeah. no sense whatsoever in the modern world, but you've got to, for some reason, pander to these... Mm. Okay, Bronze I'm, Age books. I'm interested in your response to this one. That everyone would know about it. The story of the American missionary who went to a, a remote island, I think somewhere... North in, Sentinel Island in, in the North Andaman India. Sea. Oh, you're very good, Paul. Very off the top of your head. That's good. I, I was very interested in anthropology when mm. I was a university student and I used to read... I actually did a course at university on... At the time, it was termed Fourth World Peoples by the convener of the course, who was an American anthropology teacher. And, uh, of course, now everyone calls them, what do they call them, First World Peoples or something? Developing? Not First World, sorry. um, Now, what do we call our Indigenous people now? First Nations. First Nations, that's it. First Nations people. But uh-huh. back in the day, the, the, the lecturer called them Fourth World, as in First World was the developed West, Second World was the Soviet bloc, and the Third World was everybody else. And the Fourth World was the basically the tribal or indigenous peoples right. of various parts of the world. So he, he called the course Fourth World Peoples. Hmm. But yeah, I used to read about stuff did, like that. Did you a study lot. this area as part of the? Not that specific area, but I actually did a, a personal study on uh, indigenous people of the Philippines, and so I read a lot about indigenous people in different hmm. parts of the world. Yeah. So, what did you think of this situation where the guy has uh, the, the island was notorious for the fact that the people there were very aggressive yes. and would 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 attempt to kill any strangers who come yes. onto the island. And it's been known yeah. for decades that the people will violently repel anybody who tries to land there. Mm. Even anthropologists mm. seldom and, go there. And the Indian Indian government has basically banned people from going yeah. there, said leave them alone. Yeah. 
So Which this, is interesting, isn't it? So this guy who's a missionary decides he wants to spread the word of God mm-hmm. and he, he convinces some fishermen to, to get him to the island and he uh, seems no sooner had arrived when uh, he was pretty much attacked. And He, and, he made several attempts mm-hmm. to approach them first and then he, mm-hmm. he you know, I guess he finally decided, well, I came here to do this so I'd, I, I just better get on with it. Mm-hmm. And he took them a soccer ball and some fish as presents as if they'd know what to do with a soccer ball, but uh, right. apparently they weren't very impressed and killed him. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I was listening to the Thinking Atheist this morning, and they did a he did basically the entire show on it, and he said that at the end of the day that it was illegal to go to the island for a very good reason, that anyone else that had attempted to go to the island before had been killed, even fishermen that had boat had washed ashore that they had engine trouble with they were killed so they said don't go to this island you're going to get killed what did he do he ignored the rules he paid a 200 dollars bribe to fishermen to take him close enough so he could kayak in he got himself killed he asked he asked for it yeah exactly now you know but you know what it's from don't you it's from the christian belief that you got to go out and spread the word exactly it's the idea and, and look, you know, when I was doing my <clears throat> university studies, when I was doing my reading for my study of Indigenous people in the Philippines, I read quite a lot of uh, Christian literature on this from the literature written by Catholic missionaries uh, who were quite clever in their approach. But look, the approach of certain um, Protestant, mainly American, religious uh, Christian missionary organisations they have this idea that even if you, you go to people who have had basically zero contact with the outside world, who have probably very little immunity to communicable diseases that we all have some immunity to, which may in, in effect wipe them all out, they still have this idea that it's better to contact them and introduce them to Jesus even if you kill them all. Even if you literally wipe them out, they will still be better off having heard the name of Jesus and having, having been given the opportunity to embrace Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They're still better off dead from disease so long as they've had this opportunity to embrace Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. What an incredibly arrogant thing to think. Incredible hubris, isn't it? It's amazing. But that's what they believe and that's what this guy believed. He believed it was better that he go there and give them, you know, the name of... And, and he apparently is reported to have yelled out whether anybody heard him. You know, hello, I'm John, I love you, and Jesus loves you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, this is the whole point. I mean, you know, these guys have been cut off from the rest of the world for thousands of years. Did he honestly believe that he, they would understand English? Well, it's the part of the delusion, he, isn't it? He had done some language training. But with a, but nobody knows much about their language. Even yeah. anthropologists mm. don't know much about their language. Mm. So he had zero understanding of their language. We can mm. safely assume. Look, I'm I read a fair bit about it and listened to some, and all the commentators were really oh, good riddance, sort of. What a stupid guy, and, and you know the world's better off without him kind of attitude, and. Mm. 
I had a bit more sympathy for him because, after all, he's been brainwashed. And, he has, yes. And where was the criticism of the brainwashers who mm. said, your Indeed. mission is to spread the word of Jesus and and ideally if you can find somebody who hasn't heard about Jesus, you mm. go and find them and tell them the good words. Yeah. So, and that is not, what... not, not enough criticism of the brainwashing done by these cult. I mean, we've just yeah. spoken about mm. the Jonestown cult. And this and is absolutely, this, yeah. He was a, a victim it, of you know, his own they, cult. They may not have put the cyanide in his Kool-Aid, but they put enough crazy ideas in his head that they may as well have. Yeah. He virtually committed suicide mm. due to that brainwashing, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. And that was what the thinking atheist said this morning. Yeah. Oh, they, did they? they did. Right. He came up with exactly, I thought maybe you might have listened to the podcast. Right. No. Yeah. He said exactly the same thing. He said the cult behind the situation are responsible for this. Mm. There was there was an outfit called in America called the New Tribes Mission, and they had exactly the same idea that it was better to go out and contact all these various um, you know uncontacted peoples mm-hmm. and introduce Jesus to them. Mm. Mm. Right. Anyway, a sad story. Mm. Um, but there was another thing, Trevor, if I mm, may. Yeah. And that was after he was killed, his family said, oh, we forgive them. I mean, so they were talking as if the people who killed him were the offenders in all of this. Well, they did commit murder. They did. And some people would argue, well, we're not doing these people a favour by leaving them alone and, and allowing them to, you know, wallow in this sort of primitive state while all around them people are enjoying the benefits of modern science and technology. Yeah, I've heard that argument and I disagree with it because they have managed to stay alive all this time without any technology. Apparently they don't even have fire. Not entirely, Scott. Apparently the the numbers have, have dwindled. Okay. So they're not exactly doing well. No, that's fine. But they're also, but you know, surely we can leave them to be the masters of their own destiny. And what would you want if you were? Well, you don't know what the you don't know what you want because you don't you don't you don't I mean, know I what mean, you're missing if, out on. If they're lying around um, casually fishing every day and there's yeah. an abundance of food, and if you're a woman and you're not getting raped by the tribal elders every second day, it could be an idyllic lifestyle. But, yes. but it might not be. It yes. de- it and, and people who de- romanticise de- about the primitive lifestyle, yeah, it depends what's actually yeah, happening. They often tend to ignore all the drawbacks of the primitive lifestyle, yeah. including the status of women. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you've got your teeth are just festering away with decay and you're in constant pain, and who knows? Actually, mm. the teeth of untouched, you know, tribal people tend to be much more healthy than ours. Right. Okay. No sugar. Mm. Right. No yeah. sugar. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah. Very good. So, you know... At least they've got good teeth, but mm. they're missing out on... So it's hard to say whether... You couldn't say whether you would, if you were in their position, if you'd like to be untouched and left alone or not. It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Mm. Because I personally, I'm glad that I live in a world with electric light and... Sure, uh, but, but if you're in their position... You'd, how you'd can you'd we never possibly... You'd never know what you're missing out on. Yeah, you and that's That's know. my point, is you that wouldn't you, know. you wouldn't know what you're missing out on, so you could just live and live their own life. Yeah. And, and really, <clears throat> if you introduced Western civilization to that 
island, chances are it's just going to be a horrendous result for everybody anyway. Apparently the numbers are not high there now. Mm. It's probably only in the hundreds. Mm. So it's a very small and, I mean, you know, it's a pretty marginal existence. But as soon as people, you know, if a government did make the decision to go in and try and introduce the benefits of modern civilization to them, it's quite likely that they would just disappear entirely, yep. isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Right. Um, we, pre- you know, we bashed baby boomers the other week. We're regularly bashing Amazon, the company. <laughs> and uh, Who are you going to bash today? Uh, Amazon again, actually. Um, they put out a training video for their managers and basically the video instructed company leaders... <clears throat> on how to detect early warning signs of potential sort of union organising within the ranks of employees. Um, things to look out for included workers suddenly hanging out together <laughs> and using union words like living wage. And, and the video was instructing these managers how to spot this sort of un- potential union activity amongst the workers. It's an evil force, the and Amazon company. do you think they've company. surreptitiously set up um, listening devices in the workplace? I wouldn't be surprised. Listening for words like living wage? You know, a company like Amazon would just say, you want to be employed here? Sign this document. And it's a 45-page document and buried in page 39 is a paragraph saying, no we've, got, we've got all sorts of surveillance in the building oh, I see. For, yeah. for security and other reasons and you agree to accept it. Mm. If you don't like it, work don't somewhere sign. else. Don't work At here. the non-existent it's shops that have disappeared because we've run them out of town. <coughs> mm. You know, um, Hamilton Nolan wrote in response to Amazon the anti-union training video, his insane fortune is the grotesque manifestation of a workplace oppression. I mean, he's hit the nail right on the head. If you're going to sit there and watch whether or not your workers are sitting together talking to each other at lunch, mm-hmm. you know, what does he expect them to do? Sit there individually and just not say anything to anyone else? Maybe he should follow the model of, you know, there are shops in Japan now where you can go and order a bowl of noodles and you have an individual petitioned little booth to eat your noodles so that you don't have to make eye contact or talk to strangers. Where's that? Uh, in Japan, there, mm. it's it's it's. I believe it's a chain of restaurants, a chain of noodle restaurants for solo noodle eaters who don't particularly want to engage with strangers while they're eating their noodles. Right. And apparently, it's a big success. Mm. That's Interesting, actually, isn't it's it? It's got a very big. Success. So he could set that up at his Amazon, you know, in in the lunch rooms. Just have individual little petitioned booths where. The workers don't talk to each other. Of course, you, they probably wouldn't embrace the idea. You don't. You don't need a booth. Just let them all ha- access their mobile phones, and they'll just be glued to that while they're reading and won't <laughs> interact with anybody anyway. Why spend money on on petitions? Just, yes. Just, you know. Um, remember, we had discussions about Bettina Arndt at the university, and the university was sort of saying, "Well, there's going to be a commotion having this woman here," and we're going to be having to get extra security in. So you organisers of this event need to pay and cover the cost of the extra security in order to hold the event here. And Dan Tian, 
Minister for Education, infamous for uh, talking about Africa, the, <laughs> the country, as opposed to Africa, Geography the lesson. continent. Mm. Uh, he wants to protect free speech. Well, good for Dan too. Mm. And he's going to do it by forcing protesters to pay for security costs at universities. That'll happen. <laughs> that's how you pay for That's how you get free speech, yeah. by making people pay for it. Any thoughts on who should pay for the increased security of a... Uh, well, didn't, didn't he want the protesters to be built? Yeah. He wants the protesters to pay. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know how the hell you're going to do that because the protesters would just argue amongst themselves about who was responsible for the protest. Yeah. And, you know... <laughs> yeah. well, well, I guess he's, on, he's pro the university side mm. saying we won't hold the event unless... Ah, uh, okay, so not the organisers. Yeah, how's that work? Exactly, because yeah. you could have, you know... The if green. you turn up and you protest, your names will be taken and you'll be issued with a bill. You'll be issued with a bill and that makes no sense because no. you then, then you're going to be tramping down on their, those people's right That's to free right. speech. So yeah. really what we need is a public police force... Fancy that. What? what <laughs> funded what by about? the taxpayer... What sedition are you talking that about? ...that doesn't take sides but just that just up if there's trouble. keeps the peace. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? I Isn't that why so. we have a public police force rather well, you, than a whole yeah. bunch of privately funded yeah, police it, forces? Exactly. You, you do have That's that, but you've thought. also got the situation where the, the cops down in Victoria build somebody or other, I forget who was over here, mm. for his protection. Yeah. Which made no sense. It doesn't make sense, no. You know, the, the cops have got to be there. The, the cops have got to be there to be called on for a situation like this. And if there is a protest that's getting ugly, they should be able to ring the cops and get the cops down there and that sort of thing to protect them. Isn't that what a police force is for? It should be. And if somebody breaks the law, then they'll be arrested and thrown in jail. Exactly, regardless you know what? of what if, faction they're with. If they're guilty of a, of a misdemeanour or a crime, they'll pay a $400, $500 fine. Yeah, bingo. From the government's point of view, you've paid for the police to be there if you if you've if they needed to be there. So really, that's what should be happening. Exactly. Mm. Um, the BBC has banned religious insults. So they've issued yeah. That's the public broadcaster. Mm. Aren't you supposed to have free speech on a public broadcaster? One would have thought so. Well, uh, this is a directive that's come out from the BBC. It says, producers of religious programs and related content, quote, must ensure religious views and beliefs are not subject to abusive treatment, adding that contributors should not be allowed to denigrate the beliefs of others. Oh, my God. I, madness, I don't think our uh, little podcast is going to make it onto the BBC. You don't think? No, we're in trouble. Oh, That's no, I wouldn't have thought so. But it's madness, isn't it? Because mm. who decides what is denigration? Yeah. I'd say we're guilty of it, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we referred to the Catholic Church as a cult. Mm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Finally, uh, we've mentioned before about China and its social credit system. And what they're doing over there, dear listener, is they're keeping tabs on people's activities. So if you um, if you give blood donations or undertake volunteer work, then you get some social credit points. But if you violate traffic laws, charge under-the-table fees or smoke in non-smoking zones, buy too many video games... Or post fake news online, you get you lose credit points, and what they're doing is they're toting up these points. And 
if people want to move around the country, they're saying, oh, you can't go. You've got too many... Bad. Well, they you can go, credit but points. they can't buy a ticket on an aeroplane yes, or can, a high-speed rail. That's right. You can walk or you can pedal, <laughs> but you, you're not getting on any... That's a really... It's sinister. It's sinister. It's really sinister. It's very draconian. That, that, that's something straight out of a sci-fi That's book. 1984. It's, yeah. yeah. And they're using the latest uh, surveillance technology to uh, implement it, mm. yeah. including facial recognition technology. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, one, one other thing that I just came across, and remember we talked about in America, Trump was complaining that why is it that if somebody's born here, they have to be a citizen? And, you know, that shouldn't be the case. And... In Australia, it's not the case. Mm. If you're born as a visitor, you get the best visa or sort of status of your parents. So if two German tourists are here and have a baby, then the baby is not Australian. No, it, the baby's it, a German citizen. Yes, that comes on a tourist here. visa. Yeah. Yeah. And America is a little bit unique in that way. And we were sort of thinking about it at the time, why is it the case? And I think I guessed that it was part of the Constitution. And it is. It's part of the... 14th Amendment, uh, all persons born or naturalised in the United States are citizens of the United States. They also have a rule, of course, that you, to become the president, you have to have been born in the USA, which is why all the... Mm. You know, Fuss the, about Obama. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the reason for that amendment was it came about after the Civil War because they were dealing with a lot of black people who did not have citizenship. So that was to deal with the citizenship issue of the slaves and to say, if you were born here, you're a citizen. Oh, so see. that's why it's in the Constitution. I thought that was interesting. That's very interesting, yeah. Mm. So that was as a result of that. And um, did you hear any talk once about Trump saying that maybe he should like to be president for a third or fourth term? Did you ever hear anything like that? No. Right. I that. <laughs> That's really frightening. Yeah. So um, he was saying at one point, I think, that he's doing such a good job that Shane is only, only allowed two. He should be allowed a third. So, um, And they were talking about, uh, I read about this thing about Obama and he joked that if he had been able to run for a third term, he would have won. And there was a discussion about, you know, well, can he... Can somebody be a president for a third term? And uh, let me tell you what it says. Um, Roosevelt was president for three terms? He, uh, four. Four. Yeah, died well, in his fourth. Well, he died in his fourth term. Yes, yeah, they changed sorry. the rules afterwards. Okay. So, when did they change the rules? And uh, 1951 was the 22nd Amendment, which said... No person shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice. And what was the reason? I'm not sure. 1951. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, no person shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice. But the interesting thing about that wording, like it seems clear cut, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But no person shall be elected to the office. Of president, the key word elected. being elected. Yes, imagine if you're vice president and the president dies, and you become the president. 
Oh, you, you are not necessarily elected as president, but you've become president via a non-elected route. Oh, I see. And then you go on and... So then you could go on and win two more elections. Well, no, you could, you could become president and remain president potentially, potentially or arguably um, Obama, for example, could re-enter parliament, uh, become vice president, and if the president died, he could become president for a third term, you know, for the remainder of that president's term. It's possible. It's, it's an argument. But he couldn't then run again. No, he couldn't then seek election and become president by election. But if you, if you, you could, arguably, it's not outlandish to say you could become a president for a third term via a non-elected route. I thought that was interesting. That's very interesting, yeah. There you go, dear listener. That's the little tidbit you can take away and toss that one around the water cooler on a Monday morning and see what response you get. So, sorry to keep going on about this, but Mm. could you then become a vice president for someone else who then resigns and then you take the job and then afterwards you run as the next guy's VP and then he gets in and he resigns and you take the job? Potentially, if you're getting through, not because of election, but through... Retirement or resignation of the president, arguably unlimited. (laughs) You're just going to... Interesting. But but of course we know that the vice president in the American system has a lot less power, a lot less say (laughs) in the way things are run. Not really now because Mike Pence apparently is running the country and then because Trump's out there making America great again, so... Yeah, it'd be interesting to know how much say Mike Pence actually has. Wouldn't oh, it? good lord! Let's hope not too much, because he's a right wing nutbag. He, he is, is a he's a nutter he Christian. Yes. You know. Anyway, dear listener, uh, we've gone long enough. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week. I'm not sure if there'll be as much political activity, but we'll we'll come up with something to talk about between now and then. Bye for now. Thank you very much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, 
you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.